In the second reading, we hear from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We are told that God has created, redeemed, and called us all to one church, which is reflected in the unity shown in our love for one another and all people. The second reading is from Ephesians, the fourth chapter. <clears throat> I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of all doctrines, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, of Christ, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. So I think the ushers have passed out to everyone in here um, a paper. And the top of that paper has the, the Bible lesson from Ephesians on it, and then some other notes at the bottom that we'll get to. We're going to be speaking about this um, portion of the book of Ephesians today in Paul's letter to the Ephesians mostly. And since we read that a few minutes ago before we read the gospel lesson, I thought we'd pass it out there so you could see what it is that uh, we'll be talking about. Um, those are yours to keep. Take them home, write on them, put them in your Bibles, whatever. What we get from this book of the, of the Ephesians we, before we get to this chapter 4 is we really want to remember is, is what's the context of this written piece. And this is a letter. This is a letter from a, a, a one person to his friends. It's, it's in that context that you read this. It's, it's friends talking to friends. And this friend is speaking because he loves and he cares and he, he has something he needs to share with them. So when you read this book, read it along those lines. And when we read these words today, those lines, Paul is writing to his friends in a city called Ephesus. Now in chapter 1 in this book, we got, got to start, we go back to there. In this chapter 1, the emphasis is on a teaching part. It's, it's a communication of a truth is this emphasis. Paul is writing to his friends things that he had previously shared with them face to face. So this letter is kind of a, a, a follow-up, if you will. He can't be there in person at this time, but he's going to write a letter. And he's going to remind them of the things that they shared, the truth that he has shared. 
when he was with them, he told them about the Heavenly Father's love. You read this in chapter 1. The Heavenly Father loved so much that he sent his Son. And his Son's name for us was Jesus. He sent his Son to a people because we were separated from our Father because of sin. We were moved out of that garden space because of our sin. And we've forever been separated. And Paul had them identify with what that is. When they felt the, the, the darkness in their life, when they felt the anger and the bitterness and the jealousy and the strife and the greed or just laziness, when they felt the darkness of the world, they knew what the hell was like. Now Paul was saying, but, but let me tell you about heaven. Let me tell you about a better place. And they were listening to him and the Spirit touched their ears and they were hearing his words. And he said, and this heaven's brought to you in Jesus. He taught us the truth. He showed us the truth. In time, He would go to the cross and He would die to take our punishment. He would redeem us on the cross. He would buy us back as His people. And this first chapter is going to say, use the word as beautiful, as adoption. The efforts of Jesus adopted us back in to be restored, beloved children of the Father. Chapter 1 is beautiful. It's a powerful statement of what God has done in Christ Jesus for us. Now we're getting into this chapter 4. And this chapter 4 is going to move us from talking about all that God has done and all that God has done in Christ Jesus and how the Holy Spirit works. It's going to go about moving from the, the head part, if you will, to the heart. Instead of knowing about, your, at this point it's an encouragement to know personally. To know. Not know about. To know. To move from being just recipients of receiving all this knowledge to actually being distributors of the knowledge. To be fully alive. And a part of the liveness of a body is every while you're sitting here, you're breathing. I can see this little breeze in, little breeze out. Every body, every creature that's alive here has a way of bringing air in. You've received the gift in the life of God. Hold your breath. Just, just take, this is curious. Take a deep breath in and how long can you hold it? If you're perfect at holding your breath, you'll pass out. If you have someone else assist you to hold your breath, you'll die. Unless you breathe out, you can't re-breathe in. It's a receiving and it's a giving. That's life. At this point in the letter, they've been receiving, receiving, and receiving. And now he's saying it's time you got to breathe out. Share what you've given. And as he approaches this, he uses a very powerful word, I think, on your paper there. It's bolded. It might even be underlined and bolded. It might even be italicized. All three options of making something jump off the page. Can you find it? What's the word? Urge. Another translation for that, powerful for us, is the word Beg beg it's a special time when was the last time you begged don't say this one out loud just think about it when was the last time you begged you probably have to think a while maybe not if you're a parent you've probably begged if you've watched loved ones as they grow older and and actually some young ones that suffering with their body's health and pain you've probably begged it's not a word we use very much it's not a word we want to use we're going to think about it because that's what Paul starts this chapter off with. I therefore urge, I therefore beg. 
We can't read anything else until we've gotten to that word. That word. There's some about, I thought about six very important things linked to us with this word beg. One is just how it is. It's beg, it's urging, it's pleading, it's compelling. It's a very strong request. So what's going on? One, there's a relationship. When you think about that word beg and you circle it in your Bibles when you get home, think about relationship. If you're begging for something, it's not something that's generally trivial. If you're begging for something, it's incredibly important to you. And typically, our begging has to do with people and or events that will help people or touch people. Begging implies a relationship that's close, it's dear, and there's going to be love involved. You, most people do not beg. You don't see people in, in any situations in life or even in the movies where they're like on their knees and they're crying and they're, under, and they're begging for something because they want another piece of white paper. You don't beg for this. You beg for something that's dear to you, something that's going to touch your heart, something that captures your heart. Begging. Is about generally someone that you cherish. Something that, yeah, just something you cherish. Now related to that in this word beg is a decision. Generally you beg because you're not the one who gets to make decision. They are. You're not in control of it. They are. So the decisions is theirs alone. They have the authority to decide. Now, the catch is, is they are typically not in a vacuum, which means everything that they do, everything that they decide is going to impact more than just them. Silly little humans that we are these days, we think that everything we do just impacts me. Every little thing that I do only impacts me. My consumption, the way I spend my life, the way I, where I put my eyes and my heart and my hands, where I put my, my money and my time, that that only impacts me. And that is one of the grossest lies that the evil one could ever have us do. Because it's not just about me. Me impacts we. It impacts me most directly. Then it impacts my mom. She was born me first. And then after that, my wife. Everything I do impacts my wife. And the next day, it impacts my sons. And after that, it impacts the name of my family. And it impacts my church for which I serve as a pastor. This begging thing Sometimes what you're begging for, that person might not see that their decision impacts far more than just themselves. Right? So that's something about begging. Another thing is, is the outcome is generally not trivial. The outcome might have about be a tremendous opportunities. I've seen parents, I've heard people begging, I've heard them begging in prayer. Parents are in hospital things. They're begging for the opportunity. They're begging that their sons and their daughters, their beloved, would make great decisions because they know their future is, is going to be blessed because of it. And they absolutely want the best for them. So they're praying for these outcomes that will be blessed. Sometimes they're praying that they won't make that decision because they absolutely can see that it's going to lead to hardship. Hardship. This person who's, who's begging sometimes knows the outcomes and they see the tremendous opportunity, the tremendous tragedy. It could be of life and death importance that the person they're begging to might not get. Which leads us to another part, vision. When you're thinking about the word begging, sometimes the person who's begging can see more clearly or a greater distance than the person that they're talking to. Now, sometimes it's reversed. 
Sometimes the child might be begging, oh, please let me just eat the whole cake at one sitting. And the parents like saying, no, if you eat the whole cake, you're going to vomit out your nose and you're never going to want to get that cake like that again. It's going to be ruined for you. And the child says, oh, please, I beg, I beg. You know, sometimes it's reversed. But a lot of times when you're begging, you have insights. Maybe the parent will turn the beg around. I beg you to stop doing this. Right? You, sometimes you can see what they can't see. Sometimes they're so clouded over with all the things that they think are important. It's like weeds growing up in front of their eyes that they can't see past it to the outcomes that you can see for them. You're up on a hill looking down and you're seeing stuff that they can't see. And you beg them to, 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 to listen, to change their focus, to hear you. Another part of the link directly to that is the idea of wisdom in begging. Maybe you have experience or insight or understanding. Maybe you just have health. A health with your relationship with your Father in Heaven first, His Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And from that health, you can see and understand things that they don't get because their face is like this with the world's consumption and their own little agendas and their own little dark, selfish places. And then you're, trying to, you're begging them to pull that back and, and, and to listen. One thing with everything with this word to beg is there's, it has to do with motive. There's always more than one. When you're begging, it always impacts more than one. When you beg about something or to something, um, you're wanting their best outcome. A lot of our begs, we want their best outcome. But by default, their best outcome is your best outcome. If you, ask your, if you ask your friend, I beg you, give me the car keys. You're not in a state of being able to drive safely. And you beg them to do that. Yes, you're taking care of your friend. Yes, you're aware of something that they're not, maybe they're just foolish about. Whatever it is, it definitely impacts them. But the thing is, is if your friend is in an accident and if they get hurt, you're hurt. You are. If, you make a, if you're begging for about a child or to a child or you're begging to God for whatever it is you're begging, it just doesn't impact the one you're begging to. It impacts you. There's always two, the begging. There's at least two. Your motives are always twofold. Your motive is for that person to be blessed and your motive is because they'll be blessed, oh, I'll be blessed too. Because when your loved ones suffer, you suffer. And sometimes you suffer worse. They suffer on the surface, but you're suffering with them in a way that's deep because you can see that they didn't have to do that. So the motive for this begging is at least twofold. One, it's for them, and two, it's also for you. Maybe it's for your church. Maybe it's for your community, right? So this begging is, is, is a big word. It's a huge word, and Paul uses that. I therefore beg you, I therefore urge you, plead with you. Listen what's going to happen next all right so <clears throat> with that in mind before, before we go for <coughs> excuse me before we go forward have you begged with all the stuff we've just stirred have you begged have you begged a child to stop hurting themselves with sinful decisions have you ever begged for someone to leave their addictions to various beverages or chemicals, to sexual immoralities, to habits that are destructive and a waste of life? Have you begged them to leave them? Have you ever begged for a job? 
Have you ever begged for a place that you could call home? Have you ever begged for someone to stop beating you physically or verbally? Have you ever begged for a cure for cancer? For a successful surgery? Have you ever begged for the pain to stop? Have you ever begged for love? Real love. Have you ever begged for peace? Have you ever begged for Christ-like living in yourself or for somebody else? I have each one of those. The moment of begging, friends, there are often serious moments in life, right? They're not cotton candy fun at the carnival. It's not about happiness. It's like profound, deep love and joy involved. Substantial topics of life and death importance when you beg. Now with all this conversation up, now we're going to go on to Paul's begging in chapter 4. As we started, this begging had started years before. If you want to remember about Paul, Paul has seen... The beauty, the glory, the love, the kingdom of God, the person of Jesus. He has been touched by the Spirit. He has seen things in the heavenly places that we will not see just yet. Someday, but not yet. He has seen there. He has been there and he has done that. And that event wasn't just about knowledge. It wasn't like, here, get your book and read and get smart. It was like, you're exposed to this, and it has changed his life. It is a very personal event that he is going to be talking about and continue to talk from. And from that personal event, he speaks with tremendous passion. He knew the impact of God's love displayed for him. He knew that it was a gift for him. Because he even wrote in one of his letters, he said, And last of all, As one untimely born, God chose me. That's what Paul said. God chose me. And God choosing Paul, Paul realized this full beauty and gift of this love of God in Jesus. Because Paul knew that he was personally um, persecuting Jesus' church. He was. He was terrorizing the people that said they would believe and forcing them to renounce otherwise face being separated from everything that they knew and loved as a, as a community. And even more than that, he had, he had approved and witnessed the stoning, which is a brutal way of dying, the stoning of St. Stephen. Paul was there. He authorized that murder. And Paul knew it. I was the one who muter, murdered a beautiful follower of Jesus. And still, God chose me. He gifted me with an ability. He gifted me with a desire and a capacity to love and now share. There was nothing that could alter this for him. It was that sense of being chosen by God, that gift of God that chose him, that became Paul's reason and purpose to exist. It drove him. He couldn't get that out of his mind and out of his person. It permeated him day and night. And from there, he was Paul that we knew. 
proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, foolishness, foolishness to the Gentiles, and a stumbling block to the Jews. He just, he, he just, all, he was tireless. That was his purpose, his mission in life. And now that man with that purpose and that mission is begging this new group, his new friends, new to understanding Jesus. He's begging them that they would give what they first received. Paul received it. Now he was giving it. And he's begging his friends, give what you yourselves have received. Give this invitation to others that they will know their Lord. That they too will live in with, in with their Lord and with their Lord and through their Lord. That they would have that relationship like water moving with water. They'd just be immersed and flowing and filled with their Lord. He speaks of apostles in the, in the time. He speaks of prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. It's a list of things he puts in that, in that paragraph, you can see. In that line of people, why would God send them? Why would God send Paul? And the answer is there. Because he sent those servants. He called those servants so that they could equip the people, us, with the truth so that they could build us up, not squish us down like the world wants to do, saying we're not enough, but instead raise us up and say you're beautiful in the sight of your Lord. He loves you this much to build up this church and all the ones that aren't in it to keep building up this whole body because it's not complete yet. We're missing fingers and toes and eyes. They're out there. He was telling this church, Your pastor, me. I'm here, same way. I'm untimely called. Unworthy. Unable. Still called. To do the same work that the prophets, the evangelists, the apostles, the pastors, and the teachers have done. The same work. The same message. The same focus of equipping you with the truth and building you up to be God's body on earth. At the bottom of that paper, you'll see the simplest way. If, you, if we come up with a better way, we'll have a chance to know it. This will be presented to the whole church at our next our semi-annual meeting. The God-given reason and purpose for Paul and the God-given reason and purpose for the church is right there. And let's say those bold, where it says mission, let's say the words together. Know Jesus, make Jesus known. That's Paul's mission. That's Paul's purpose. To personally know Jesus. Personally. Not know about, have a relationship with. And then from there, he could do nothing else but to share it. And when you hear that statement, almost hear it as a, as a God call for you. But more than that, hear it as a pleading. Hear it almost as a pleading from Jesus speaking directly to your mind and your heart and your ears, saying these things, saying is, know me. Don't know about me. Know me. Make me known. It's a pleading. Yes, it was to Paul. Yes, it too was to the Ephesians and the Corinthians and the Colossians and the Romans and all these other churches. Yes, it was the same to them. It's the same for us. 
who we are today as a church. Know Jesus. Make Jesus known. Let's read this vision part together. The, the answer to this is, how are we accomplish God's mission? How are we to know Jesus and make Him known? This is the words together. We say the seven together. Worship, pray, learn, mentor, serve, give, invite. That, folks, is God's way of heaven. It's in the Bible. It's, it's very simple. That's God's way of heaven. That's God's way of full living. If you're like half living, look at the list and see which one of these components is being compromised. If you're like diminished in your joy, in your life, in your peace, if your life isn't going the way it's supposed to, if family's coming apart, if all things are going weird and you just don't have a sense of being close with God, why don't you look at the list and say how you're not participating in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because that's His way. Jesus gave it to us. Paul didn't invent this. He just shared it. If you think about worship, the very first thing on the list, that's, that's what they do in heaven. You read the book of Revelation, and you're going to read in their time again, Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord, the God of hosts. Heaven and earth is full of your glory. They're saying that. They're realizing how great and wonderful and awesome God is. And then right after that, you'll read some other things about all glory, honor, and power, praise, worship, and thanksgiving to you, Father, who sits on the throne. That's what heaven does. They worship. Worship is giving thanks. It's giving recognition for God being God and Him being mindful of us that He loves us and He brings us into us. That's worship. That's what we do on Sundays. We hear it. We're in His presence and we give Him thanks and praise. There's no way we can have heaven without the ways of heaven. If you've compromised worship, you've compromised it all. Honor the Sabbath and keep it whole. He made that a, he made that a, a, a commandment even. It's that important. And then the next one, like pray. We're not going to go all the details of all these things, but the very next one is pray. Just Why not just talk with God? How can you say you love somebody and you don't even spend any time with them and talk with them and share, and share life with them? It's impossible. I could tell people they love each other because they're there for each other. They want to be around each other. They talk to each other. I've seen it. I've seen the absence of that too. I've seen people so busy with the world they've forgotten their spouse. So busy with the world they've forgotten their children. So busy in the world they've forgotten their church. They're distracted with all the stuff they forgot the relationships. Prayer is relationship. How can we say we're knowing Jesus if we don't even pray? Right? Learning and mentoring is right there. Mentoring, I'll just speak to you just for a moment. Mentoring, it's not like, okay, here's the Bible, read the Bible, and get smart and get back to me. It's not. Mentoring is a personal project. Mentoring requires one person and another person. It's like an apprentice system. It means I invest so much into you because I'm giving you myself and my time. And oh, by the way, everything I know is true. Paul mentored them one-on-one. -on -one. He did this face-to-face, -face, and he lived it with them for times and seasons, preparing them to go do the same thing. Mentoring is, we don't learn and teach. We learn and we mentor. We make it personal. The kids in this church, they're all of ours. All of us give our time to them. The adults, the veterans in this church are all of ours. We give our time to them. We mentor each other in our Lord. That's a cultural decision that we make. And it's not what the world gives. The world just says, here, go online, read the book, give me your test. That's not the church. We're mentors here. The other ones are serve, give, and white. Isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't Jesus serve? 
Didn't he give himself away? Didn't he invite other people to follow? That's the very act of Jesus. To say that we're a church and not have that part of our statement, we're not church. Jesus served. He gave and he invited. That's what the followers of Jesus did too. That's what the church does through Jesus today. The last one, the core values. We'll read these together too. Love like Jesus loves. Serve like Jesus serves. Be humble, grateful, and be obedient to God. United. Be like Jesus. How is it that we live together? When we're a church and we have no Jesus, when, we're, when that's our mission statement, and those seven things are how we conduct making that mission statement come to life, how do we get along with How do we live together on a day-to-day basis? Well, we're going to love like Jesus loves. That's what we do. And we will serve like Jesus serves. That's how we roll. Someone's in my seat, great. I got another seat. Right? If we need the back row for the crying people and the people who need to get bathrooms access fast, take it. I love you more than me. If that's what you need, it's our best for the others. That's what Jesus did. Humble? Oh my gosh. That's what worship is. Just being humble and blessed before God. Grateful? Tell you what, it's hard to be greedy when you're grateful. Right? It's hard to be prideful when you're humble. Right? So it's a, it's a, it's a cure. It's a godly way of all those things that are sins. We don't even talk about all the, all the sins I mentioned here. Paul in his letter, he touches upon this in this one a little bit later on chapter 4 about all the ways that don't look like God's ways. We don't even know, need to go there because there's a million distractions. The Satan, Satan has been very creative on how he can distract us from the truth. We don't need to talk about the million ways. We just need the one way. And that's what we focus on. United. We will go together. The evil one will not peel us apart. It just won't happen. Because Jesus prays for that. Look in your papers. How many times is the word one read? I don't have that paper in front of me. I gave mine away. Here we go. I got one right here. First paragraph, chapter, verse 4. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Right? That's a whole lot of ones. United. Knowing Jesus, one with Jesus, united. Bringing everybody in, united to one body, this church on earth. That's who we are. That's what we do. One of the things that Jesus said a lot of times and in, in, in they're crossing the lake and they met him on the other side between that time, they, he walked across the water and there was a wind and there was a storm and they were afraid. And he said, don't be afraid. You're crossing to a place you don't know and it's kind of troublesome and fearful along the way. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And he got in the boat with them and they were safe and they were okay. Church, we're crossing over to a side that's not familiar sometimes knowing jesus can be scary because the more you know him the more you're going to be wanting to be letting go of the world it's like well i've never let go of that before i've never crossed over to that side before and he's saying don't be afraid i'm with you and with me it's okay adopt my way it's that easy it's as easy as the words on the bottom of the paper it's that simple. 
It's that beautiful and it's that blessed. Oh, what a blessing it is to know Jesus and make him known. And for that, we ask God help us be that kind of church. Amen.